Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Welcome back to Better Words. Thanks for joining us. Happy Wednesday or whatever day of the week you're listening. <laughs> yes, happy happy day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Caitlin is very excited to get this little intro recorded because she's about to watch the Harry and Meghan interview Australia time. I'm going to have to catch up later because it's not on until quite late at night in the UK but um plenty plenty to talk about I'm sure I think there will be plenty to talk about with this in coming days and if people are listening on Wednesday they'll be like I'll lose that was like three (laughs) days ago (laughs) I've already looked up some of the talking points and I'm just like oh I know I've already seen like headlines and yeah but I can't help myself I'm interested I know I'm interested too, especially because like the more and more that this stuff happens with the royal family, I'm like, yes, I think Australia should become a republic. I do not see the point of this anymore. So yeah, it's, it's certainly very interesting. And it's interesting actually to be in Britain, seeing the reaction as well, because usually we see this in Australia. Obviously it's talked about a lot because we're part of the Commonwealth and all that sort of stuff, but it's very interesting to be on the other side and seeing how people respond in the UK. Yeah. Particularly this one is uh, quite divisive, I think. So very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So we both just have kind of little quick recommendations today. Um, So Michelle, what are you recommending today? Well, I'm actually going to recommend, I think it was the first book that I read this year. I mean, I guess not recent, recent, but I absolutely adored it. Definitely one of my favorites of the year. So I couldn't help myself. I had to recommend it again on the podcast. And that is No Shame by Tom Allen. So this is a comedic memoir. So again, I obviously, clearly I have a thing for comedic memoirs because... Who doesn't? They're hilarious. I know, but- But I made us read like Rosie's last week and like obviously there's a theme here Um, and if you know me well, you know that I love my UK comedians. I will watch like 10 million panel shows with them on. I just love them and Tom Allen is one who is, I adore him so much. I love him on Bake Off Extra Slice. So he does like the chat show about Bake Off. Oh, like after Bake Off. Oh yeah, Yeah. that's great. I love those. It's so funny because they have a studio audience and even during Corona, they were able to distance everyone um, and people bring their cakes in basically to be roasted by him. It's so funny. I'll see if I can find some videos to put in the show notes because he's so rude, but so funny. But like, because he, he says himself that he dresses like a Victorian man and he has quite a posh accent even though he's not from a posh area he's like I don't know what happened um it it just comes out you you like it's like oh it's a pleasure being insulted by you but (laughs) genuinely he's he's so funny um and this this book talks about obviously feeling very uncomfortable within the world that he grew up in feeling very out of place not feeling like he fitted in anywhere um coming to terms with his sexuality you know, in a world and in a space where that wasn't necessarily something that was accepted at the time. And then 
you know, like it's, it talks about the, the mentors he had along the way and the, the, the teachers and the people who helped him sort of find himself as, you know, this kind of eccentric Victorian man. Um, but it's so, it's so wonderful. And it did resonate a lot with me um, when he was talking about going to like a house party and just not knowing how to interact with people. So we started cleaning instead. And I was like, ah, oh, yes, this is why I like you. Like it's just, <laughs> it's that sort of anyone who feels socially awkward and out of place will find this very touching. But at the same time, it's hilariously funny. And he's a very, very talented, funny writer, um, which I think you get from his stand-up. But there's a brilliant quote on the back from Josh Widdicombe, who's another UK stand-up I love. And he basically is like, not only is he a nice person and one of my friends, he's actually a really great writer. And now I hate him for that. (laughs) That's a brilliant quote for the back. Oh, my God. It's so it's so good. So if you enjoy UK comedy, then No Shame is is brilliant. I don't I I would guess it hasn't been published in Australia, but I'm sure you can get a copy and sure it'll yeah. be found somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really fun, but also, yeah, you're gonna feel like you finally found someone who understands you as well. <laughs> also, he did write it in the first lockdown. And got it published. So wow, yeah, it's <laughs> quick turnaround. It's crazy. We're already <laughs> at that point, but yeah. Um, my quick recommendation this week is Wandavision, which has just finished its first season on Disney Plus. So Michelle, I assume you haven't watched it, and I probably won't. Let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> Definitely okay. Watch it though, obviously. Yeah. So here's the thing: is that even if I know when Disney Plus was coming out and, you know, Marvel and Star Wars and everything was announcing like a billion TV shows and there were all of these, there were going to be all of these TV shows that are going to be like extra add-ons to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I was like, oh, there's already so many movies. Like how much do we have to keep up with? I know it's like when you are obsessed with Harry Potter and then oh. it's, it's now becoming like, I'm like, I can't, I can't keep up with there's, this. I mean, like, there's too many things. Too much. Like who can be bothered? I know. But I think having played Lego Harry Potter on Jack switch, I finished year one the other day, just side note. Oh, very yeah. fun. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> um, but then, so then I started to see, cause the name of the show, WandaVision, I was like, so Wanda and Vision, cool. Two characters, they're like together in the movies, big whoop. And then I saw trailers and WandaVision, um, before things get a bit crazy and you figure out why there's this kind of alternate reality because the character of Vision had actually previously died in the movies. I don't know, it's all, I'm not explaining all of that kind of superhero magic <laughs> stuff, but <laughs> it's, really inspired heavily inspired by tv shows of different eras so like the first episode was like 50s and it was inspired by i love lucy and you know elements of other shows there and then the 60s was like so bewitched i was like oh my god it's so exciting and then 70s was like brady bunch and everything and like all the way up to the 2000s was that kind of mockumentary style, like modern modern family, like the 2010s. And the theme song, they do different theme songs every week. 
and the theme song for the 2010s sounded like The Office and I was like, this is great. (laughs) So even though it's that extra superhero bit and, yes, I got sucked into all of that anyway, (laughs) but I think if there was one of these that you're going to watch because I honestly don't know if I will watch the other Marvel TV shows. This was the first one that has been released. There's a few others coming out this year, apparently. But I had to watch that one as a TV fan, a sitcom fan. And it was so good. And it was just fun to try and spot all the different references and everything before the kind of superhero storyline, I guess, kind of took over. But by then you're hooked and you're like, okay. I know a lot of people have been saying how amazing it is. So yeah, yeah. it was really, really good. One, I've eh? been really enjoying it. And I just love the TV bit. I like forget the rest of the storyline. I would have watched just them like living out sitcom tropes in different eras. <laughs> like that is a good show before everything else happens. So cool. If you I haven't watched it. it, you've been considering going, what's all the fuss about? And you like, superheroes and tv give it a crack yeah nice i like it um also just as an update to when i recommended line of duty as well oh yes um, you've finished now haven't you finished and i've gone back to the start to watch (laughs) while i do workouts and stuff because i can't think of anything else to watch um but march 21st sunday march 21st 9 p.m uk time new season airs i'm so what excited. will you do until then? <laughs> I literally will be watching it again and again and again. Um, but yeah, very, very excited for the the new season. And if anyone in Australia is, um, yeah, wanting to watch it, hopefully it will be on air in Australia soon. But like, if not, I'm sure that you're all smart enough to figure out how, how you can catch it. up on it in the UK. Like, you can legally catch up on it. I'm not suggesting you do anything illegal, but yeah. I'm just saying that I think that you could find a way with a VPN <laughs> to get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm very happy. And I counted for it. It's going to be seven episodes instead of six and we're still going to be in the UK for it. Um, so which sounds like, a, any. Yay. I know it sounds like a silly thing, but I was like, if I have to leave the UK and miss out on like the final episode and have to wait for that, then that's just going to be really cruel. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it means that the good thing for me is it means that I can do like real time chats with my UK friends who are obsessed with it. So um, also that's like three weeks. You can binge five seasons in that time. Don't tell me you can't. So anyone who's like thinking about it, just please catch up. It's the best TV show. Dive in and talk to Michelle about it. <laughs> please. Well, <laughs> with all of those super fun recommendations, we have to get onto our very, very fun episode and interview with Sophie Gonzalez. So our guest this week is a young adult author who lives in Melbourne and when she isn't writing, she can be found ice skating, performing in musical theatre or practising the piano. Today we are talking about her brand new contemporary novel as well as uh, discussing musical theatre, of course, because that's what we love. Um, So we are talking about Perfect on Paper. Welcome to Better Words, Sophie Gonzalez. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. We loved the book. Oh, just love it. I, I mean, 
we will talk about this a bit more, but that classic like dating coach sort of story, such a sucker. I love that. So fun. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. That's always lovely to hear. (laughs) So let's kick off with the absolute delight of Perfect on Paper. It is perfect for anyone to give people an idea um, I saw it compared to the TV show Sex Education and I was like, yes, that's <laughs> such a good comparison because it's someone who is great at giving dating advice but has a lot of trouble implementing it in her own life. So can you tell us a little bit more about the story behind the novel? Yeah, so Perfect on Paper follows a 16-year-old bisexual girl who gives anonymous love advice through an abandoned locker at school. And when a hot senior guy catches her in the act, he blackmails her to become his personal dating coach to help him win his ex-girlfriend back. And in exchange, he'll keep her secret. Um, Really important for her that her secret doesn't get out um, because she has used the locker for not so noble means in the past to try and uh, help her own love life along. And that obviously becomes such a point of tension Mm. the more that we the novel and the more that things start to unravel and I was like oh god and just kept reading and I was like oh no what did you do (laughs) (laughs) I don't shy away from characters making really big mistakes and that's the thing sometimes I was just like no why are you doing this no don't do it I'm sorry to put you through the secondhand embarrassment (laughs) that's what it is I was just like no don't make this decision you know it's the wrong one no don't do it I think though that's probably like that's probably what appeals to people about a show like sex education as well is the cringy scenes because we can all relate at some point so the fact that you do you know it would be so wrong I guess to write a young adult novel where the main character does not make some massive mistakes because we've all made mistakes as teenagers no one is a perfect 16 year old so we can all relate there (laughs) yeah I definitely wasn't no 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 yeah so how did you like come up with the concept I suppose for this novel like you know I said before that kind of dating coach or like telling someone what to say like what's it like the Cyrano sort of thing is a story that kind of we see in different forms so how did you come up with your version yeah um well funnily enough I'd actually I was well into writing the book when sex education came out the first time and I had an absolute breakdown (laughs) (laughs) but you're right it's been done so many times in different ways um you know I can't actually remember ever having the idea yeah I know that's a terrible answer but um it just sort of uh came to me out of nowhere and I sat down and I wrote the whole plot out and it was all just there like one second the book didn't exist and then the next second the whole plot was there um I think the only thing that I had to make like a conscious decision about was the specific dating advice that I put in the book um for example, um, there's there's a really big focus on attachment theory in Perfect on Paper. Um, and that, that wasn't there at the very start. That was something that I consciously put in and figured out how that was going to affect the characters. So, um, And that was inspired by my own research into how attachment styles affect you as an adult. Um, as a psychologist, I 
had known about attachment styles in children and how that affects development. But it wasn't until I was much older that I, I realized, hey, um, this style that I developed as a child has actually affected how I view relationships as an adult. And for me, that was this huge moment where I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this explains everything. So um, I was really interested in exploring that in a book. It comes across so well because I was reading and like she's talking about, you know, the different theories and like as people are finding out and they're questioning Darcy about her, like her credentials and where does she get this stuff from? And I, I was like, I want to know that too because how does she know? Because it all just felt so real and I guess that really comes across because you are a professional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's definitely an aspect of that. Um, but all this stuff is available online to anyone who happens to be really interested. And while I guess I do have that professional background to help give me some extra tools and understanding it, I was into this stuff as a teenager as well. I was the kind of person who, if I got like a book voucher, I would go get like a men are from Mars, women are from Venus, or, you know, that kind of <laughs> stuff. Like, tell me, how do I like make someone fall in love with me? <laughs> Not that it works What's like that. What's the secret? <laughs> tell me the secret. Um, so that that was definitely something that I used to be really interested in. And there, there are relationship coaches all over YouTube who spell this stuff out and make it really accessible to the average person, putting it in layman's terms. So for someone like Darcy, who is able to put some money towards doing the research and otherwise has access to the internet, has access to YouTube, there's actually a lot of information out there. So if someone were to sit down and decide, okay, I'm going to learn all about this, they can, especially now nowadays was maybe when I was 16 it was a little harder to find that information without $25 and dimmicks <laughs> classic yes oh <laughs> uh, yeah so when you were um obviously was that something that you were you obviously said it was a conscious decision to add that mm. in was that something you did in in the drafting stage or was that something that you kind of refined in the editing and like went back with sort of some professional knowledge there and like made sure that every because that dating advice reads so well and you know it feels like I mean I can't speak because I have no professional understanding of it but it <laughs> seems so legit so I assume it is yeah and I guess you wanted to make sure that she wasn't giving horrible advice oh no that was very very important to me <laughs> I was actually yeah. um, it was a little bit scary giving advice like that because even though you know it is in a fiction book like you're right I, I actually kind of had to write Darcy as someone who knows what she's doing because you know otherwise people might read this terrible advice and I'm like oh yeah she doesn't she, she got that wrong but maybe the reader would be like oh okay I'll do that not realizing that it was supposed to be bad advice so I'm like okay no Darcy has to give some some legit stuff here otherwise I'm putting uh, putting people in a bad position um but no, I actually, my drafts usually look very, very similar to the final version. Um, what I did with the relationship stuff was one day I wrote out every single letter. Um, within Perfect on Paper, you see uh, the letters that some people are writing into Darcy um, and her responses. So there was one particular day where I just wrote down a whole bunch of people writing into Darcy and her responses and I ended up picking the ones that I liked best and just inserting them later yeah you're right I, I didn't necessarily do it in order I put them in 
the start of the chapters where I felt they made the most sense in terms of the story. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, because they don't really have anything to do with the story. Maybe like one or two there, yeah. are more <laughs> to the actual plot, mm. but the rest is just like, this is just a thing she does, and here's a letter from today. Yeah, yeah, and I had a lot of fun, like, putting the people who'd written the letters in the background so you can kind of see how Try things... and guess who it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure there isn't a single letter where the writer doesn't pop up in some point some might be more hidden than others but everyone should everyone who wrote a letter you can should find a story. few if you read yes. it yeah <laughs> yeah that's so cool and that's fun for you as an author to like hide them in there yeah. as well and give people you know something to sort of look out for but I did think that when I started I was like oh I wonder if like we're gonna know who these people are and we're gonna see certain things and you can see too I think I feel like there are some points where you're like oh this letter writer, like, are they talking about someone else? Like another letter that's been written in yeah. is obviously something that comes up within the plot itself. Yeah. But then to actually see that without you explicitly saying it, I was like, ooh, ooh, am I, am I overthinking this? Or is this like, <laughs> that was, that was very fun. But it's so cool to like, was it a bit, um, it's a bit like going back to your teenage self and being like, what would I as a teenager have asked for dating advice on? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Like I think anyone at any age can probably use dating advice, but particularly when you're that age, cause you just, you haven't done it before. So like there's so much, that it doesn't come naturally a lot of the time. Oh my God. It doesn't come naturally at any time for me. But... <laughs> I mean, I had to get Caitlin to use my Tinder to ah. swipe on the guy who's now my fiance. Yeah, so, it oh, there you go. So. <laughs> wow, me. <laughs> that is such a meet cute. I love that. Yeah, I'm gonna tell that Rest story. Assured, at that I did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did start. I did, you know, I did talk to him, you know, straight away. But it, like, it was me. It wasn't Caitlin. No, but, um, it's okay. It wasn't. He wasn't like expecting someone else. Yeah, <laughs> if it was a rom com or a YA novel, you would have ended up, you know, dating him and everything. But I was the one who was actually in love with him because exactly. I was actually talking yeah. to him. But that's not what happened. <laughs> you and I would be lying the whole time and be like, "What do I say? Oh my god." But yeah, yeah no. Maybe no, we should write that book together, Michelle. That would be funny. Yes. That would be good. No <laughs> one steal that idea. It's ours. Okay. I'm booked for the next few books. So. <laughs> yep, you're not looking for ideas yet? No. <laughs> Gosh. Um, so let's let's take a more a little more serious term, but let's talk about biphobia mm. in this book because mm. it's something that you address so well. Why did you want to explore that in that way? through Darcy's character? Mm. So when I wrote my first book, Only Mostly Devastated, um, there was some very early feedback from some people within actually the queer community. Um, There is, I'm going to do mild spoilers. It's a side character, so I think people will get over it. Um, There's a character in Only Mostly Devastated called Lara, um, who is a bi girl, and she kind of comes to terms with her identity and comes out during the course of the novel, um, she has feelings for this girl who it doesn't end up working out with. And she ends the novel in a relationship with a guy. And um, there was this really intense thing that quite a high up person, not from my publisher, I'll put that out there, but someone else with a fair bit of power said like, oh, you know, it was 
really disappointing to see Lara like go through all of this, you know, discovering her bisexuality only to settle for a guy. And it was um, uh, (laughs) really, well, my first reaction was like shame and oh my gosh, you know, like I've done something awful, you know, like I've, I've betrayed people. I've, I've done, you know, the wrong thing essentially. And I, as I was kind of talking to friends about it and sorting through my own feelings about it, I ended up landing on, well, no, she's bisexual. <laughs> and part of being bisexual is that you can, well, you are attracted to more than one gender. So it's actually not more valid to end up with one gender over another. Yeah, with um, one over the other. Yeah. Right. They're both fine. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's kind of the whole point is that they're equal to you. <laughs> yeah. <It> was- <laughs> that's the thing. That's what we're doing here. Um, so I was like, oh, um, and, you know, I thought a lot as well about my initial reaction and how you know, I wasn't confident in myself because, you know, there is, it it is so difficult, I guess, to talk about that. And when there is stigma, whether it's said or not, you know, this idea of, well, to be in the queer community, you should be in a same gender relationship, you know, well, I'll I'll obviously point out that being in the queer community isn't just about sexuality either Um, or it can be about sexuality but you know you could be ace or aero for example which has nothing to do necessarily with which gender anyway it gets complicated but um, (laughs) it is it is it is a complicated it's a a huge spectrum isn't it it's and that's it is that it includes so many different people so yeah it exclude anyone no, it shouldn't. It's something that we talked about with Alice Oseman, actually, mm. in terms of um, the Arrow and Ace community, actually, mm. because there is a, a subplot in Loveless, which is about um, a, a queer support community and some some things that are said in there. But yeah. I think it is it is interesting to discuss that, and I think it should be discussed as well, because sometimes from a from a heterosexual perspective you can see the queer community as this amazing Mm all-inclusive everyone's so lovely and friendly and I don't think it's fair to ignore some issues that happen within that community just because we want to be inclusive and stuff like that so I think it's really it's been an important part for like I think us as hetero readers reading that Mm -hmm. and kind of learning more about those aspects I think we've just assumed you you see like pride marches and stuff you're like yeah everyone's so lovely and friendly and (laughs) welcoming but it would be disingenuous to ignore other stuff that goes on within it because everyone is human within that and we are all flawed absolutely what I was gonna say (laughs) it's just another group of humans we're all humans Exactly. So getting back to the point, though, of then perfect on paper, was that starting to address some of those feelings that you worked through yeah. after only mostly devastated? Exactly, exactly. Um, so part of, I mean, imperfect on paper, and I publicised this quite a bit, um, the main romance is between a cis guy and a cis girl. So, um, and it, it talks about, you know, how a relationship is not necessarily a hetero relationship just because there is a girl and a guy within it. Because if, if one of the members of that relationship is queer, then that therefore it is still a queer relationship. Um, 
so part of it was me trying to be like oh okay I did a bad thing by having this spy girl end up with a guy well I'm gonna do it again um (laughs) (laughs) take that um but (laughs) uh, I guess you know yeah I wanted to explore that because it was something that I went through actively a couple of years ago when this was said to me and it was um and I kind of realized like actually there isn't as much talk about it as I would like there to be so maybe I can contribute to that conversation maybe I can talk about that in my book where I am purposely (laughs) setting up this type of relationship because it does seem to when we have that sort of you know by character in novels it seems to sort of often the ones that I've read it's the other way where it's like Mm. coming out realizing that you like someone of the opposite gender and sort of like one that comes to mind I think is the character of Rosa Diaz in Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a great character and she has dated both men and women on the show but I think unless I'm wrong I think since the character came out as bi she has we've only seen her girlfriends yeah yeah unless I'm wrong but no I I just recently watched watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine again so I can confirm that (laughs) (laughs) great we we absolutely love Brooklyn Nine-Nine but I couldn't remember or not if we've seen a seen one of Rose's boyfriends since she came out and like I haven't seen season seven yet so Mm. yeah yeah things could happen I don't know but yeah it's it definitely as I was reading it I was like I really like where this is going because I like actively don't read blurbs so I didn't know I was like I don't know where this is going but I really like where this is going and I really want them to end up together but that doesn't like then you're like on the cover she's looking at the girl (laughs) well I don't have a cover I've got no okay (laughs) but I was like I was thinking like is that like bad of me to want those two characters to end up together because I'm in yeah, hetero relationships and, and, and not part of the quick. Is that is yeah. that me being like, mm. is that some sort of um, internalised sort of thing mm. from me thinking, oh, that's more normal. But at the same time, it was more just because I was like, she's not that into you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Darcy and Brown have the better chemistry. Like they, they should absolutely... <laughs> unequivocally be together they belong together <laughs> but yeah you, you yeah. doubt yourself you're doubting yourself and reading it now bro we absolutely love and he is australian and he's from adelaide i'm from yeah. adelaide so i was yes love it because she too. thinks he's british but he's not because he's from adelaide yeah. so good <laughs> caitlin you totally don't have an adelaide accent i don't anymore i lived in queensland since i was nine but you lived in, yeah you lived in central queensland okay, Bogan, Bogan central yeah. <laughs> but i loved that and it was just really refreshing to read this book set in america where an australian character explains australian slang and music mm. correctly <laughs> and drops the c-bomb yeah <laughs> i love the way you amazing. handled that because there's no there's obviously no it's not you no. <laughs> but as soon as she said i was like <laughs> i know what word it was. i know and my editor in that scene we talk about how that word is like used very casually in a lot of contexts in australia my editor's like how can it be good how can it be a compliment? I'm like, well, it depends on what word you pair it with. <laughs> yeah. 
Like like sexy, maybe? Well, the yeah. first one that came to my mind was mad. Yep. Mad. Really oh, yeah. That's a very, like, bro thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> I don't mind other people saying it, but it still sort of feels wrong That's okay. if I say it. But I do love that we have this reputation the world over for being okay with that word. Yeah, and I'm just reinforcing that now. <laughs> and I loved the moment where they were in the car and Braun plays working class man and then it messes with her Spotify and so she keeps getting all these other suggestions. Anyway, all of this um, to say that we love the Australian character in Perfect on Paper but the book and Only Mostly Devastated are both set in the US even though you are Aussie. So why did you decide to write these books and set them in the US? Essentially my big goal um, with getting published was to be published in America because, you know, they've got such a thriving publishing community, which we also have. I don't mean to say otherwise. Um, I think just in terms of numbers, it's it's easier to get your book read by a large number of people getting it published in America um, because, you know, getting published in America means that I was then able to get published in the UK and Australia, but going the other way around, initially publishing in Australia. It's harder to go the other way. It's harder. It is harder. It can be done. Um, yeah. It's trickier to get across. Um, so actually my first couple of books, so one that uh, I took on sub and didn't sell, and then another one um, that did sell, I tried to set them kind of nowhere. <laughs> um yeah. to kind of have the best of both worlds um and I was pretty firmly told actually with my debut debut the law of inertia um that I couldn't set it nowhere that it had to be somewhere real um and they wanted me to set it in Australia and I well that story actually didn't work in Australia um the way that it was so I ended up setting it in the UK um uh I find that with America um a lot of the time, and this is just like a generalization, when books are set elsewhere, they usually still have an American main character. You know, it'll be like an American traveling to France or an American traveling to England or, you know, moving or whatever it is. Um, and I think that, you know, especially like being early in my career, it was just easier for me to sell a book writing it set in America with American characters um, so that I didn't have that extra obstacle of relatability, I suppose. I think that in Australia it's maybe a bit easier for us to relate to books set in other countries, starring people from other countries because we receive more of that media. Like we're, we're very like we'll in yeah. one day watch an Australian thing and a UK thing, an American thing. Like that's very normal it for us. Which yeah, is, you know, a constant pet peeve of mine. It's it's a constant pet peeve that that we, just as a country, I think, are so open to all this other media, but that, you know, and I, I don't necessarily mean to single out the US here, but it feels very closed in comparison. Like, it feels like they don't even try to... Un, like understand whereas we just don't have a choice of we get American TV mm. shows we get American books with American spelling yeah and we don't have a choice about that whereas the other thing I think it should we should say that if, if people aren't aware that if you do publish 
you know, an Australian YA novel, for example, and it gets sold to the US, it gets you would have to go through a whole editing process again and change everything to American spelling and stuff like that. And it just feels like that same sort of Mm. requirement isn't in place for us. So we grow up in Australia just being really open to all those different spellings. Yes. (laughs) And that is, I'll, I'll step down off my soapbox now, but that's like, that's my pet name. <laughs> um, but I do think like, it, yeah, the American high school system, we just know that, but they wouldn't yeah. know a thing about Australia. Exactly, exactly. It was actually like, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to say I didn't get anything right. I always get something wrong. There's always stuff that we don't realise are exclusive to Australian. Always. I can tell you that right now. But... Like the nutbush? <laughs> like the nutbush dance? <laughs> it's an American song and then still. It's an American song. But no, other, no other country uses the nutbush dance. I only found this out like last year. year. I was... <laughs> Did everybody not do the nutbush to warm up in PE class? Like, Weird. what? Yeah. Or like, me. or like, if you could jump to it at the year seven disco, then you were like the coolest because you could make it through the whole song <laughs> while jumping, not just stepping. <laughs> that was me. Yeah, I I do not have the cardio capacity for that even now. So, but we will obviously include a clip of the nut just for fun. In case anyone um, doesn't know what we're talking about. It's such Aussie nostalgia. Like, honestly, it's right up there, which I didn't even realise, but it's right up there with, like, Milo and Tim Tams is, like, the most Aussie thing ever, I think. Did you guys ever see the movie Napoleon with the dog? I'm sure I did. I'm sure I did as a kid. I can't really remember it, but I think I did. Yeah. Well, it's on the same topic. So it's um, it's a South Australian production, I'm pretty sure, and it's mm-hmm. a, like it's just a movie that follows this like golden retriever puppy and he like gets lost from the city and is like in the outback and it's just like little animals all running around but they're it's like dubbed it's cute but like you know so it's like the dog it's not like the weird how they have it nowadays where their mouths are moving it's just the dog will be walking along <laughs> and it's being dubbed over um and when like, that was a huge part of my childhood when I was little and then I grew up and I found out that America, I'm like, America took that book, <laughs> took that movie and redubbed it. I'm like, it was already in English. <laughs> Why did you redo it? Oh my God. Um, so what kind of research do you have to do then apart from watch like 10 million set in American high school mu- movies? <laughs> um, what what sort of research did you have to do to make sure it was as authentic as possible? Well, actually, with Perfect on Paper, I went over in person um, in 2019, so that helped a lot. I was really hoping to be able to get over to North Carolina when I wrote Only Missy Devastated, but it didn't end up going ahead. Um, but I was able to get to California. Um, I saw a Californian high school, um, went to Disneyland, and <laughs> I think that Amazing. that definitely helped. Um you know, the funny thing is, I think that like, I have to go for research. I have to go to Disneyland. <laughs> we were talking when we were talking to Abigail Mann, um, is our first episode of this season. She was like, I basically knew I wanted to like, I wanted to go to Scotland. So I had to make sure that there were scenes in Scotland. <laughs> Life hack. Yeah, exactly. Set it in Disneyland. Yes. Ding. Disneyland trip. Um <laughs> So I've actually like I've had a lot of reviews I've been tagged in kind of saying like oh wow Disneyland was especially well written in terms of descriptions I'm like yeah because the only place I've been like everything else is making up 
<laughs> so I'd probably be better at descriptions if I was setting it in Australia, to be fair. Um, <laughs> it's probably a little bit of a barrier, but I do my best. Um, I use Street View a lot just oh. to kind of see like, you know, let's look at the state that I'm setting this in. What do the houses look like in a normal street, not like Hollywood version of this state? Um, what what does their yeah. main strip of stores look like? Like that kind of stuff. Um, I also have obviously my American editing team um, and I get a lot of American author friends to kind of do a read through and anytime they catch something that isn't American, like they're on strict, <laughs> strict instructions to don't let it slide. Like, let me know. Cause uh, there's just so many things. Um, I think I said it on Twitter the other day, but one that caught, that really caught me off guard was my, I wrote, um, we'll go back to yours. And my editor was like, his what? I'm like, his house. <laughs> but apparently it's like an unfinished thought for them. Like, right. it's just not a very American Apparently, thing. like, have a nice one as well. Like, have a nice one. Have a nice oh, one. Okay. Like, what? Yeah. You, have you seen that meme that's like, you'll never know. <laughs> that's why we say it. I said no worries at um the grocery store the other day and the guy who was serving me was like well that's Australian if I've ever heard it I was like is it <laughs> well this is like there was another my other fav- favorite Aussie moment in perfect on paper is I have no idea what Darcy asks from but he says well we're not here to fuck spiders and she's like what <laughs> I had to get that in shout out to so Alfred Austin who always said that it's <laughs> yeah. amazing I just I honestly think that phrase isn't even used enough in Australia we've got to use it not it's so good it's not (laughs) absolutely I I, I was using it as a teachable moment essentially yeah (laughs) I'm just trying to get as much educate all all of your US readers on exactly slang um um, we could keep talking about this forever but um Mm. I do want to ask you about only mostly devastated and Greece because Greece is my absolute favourite. And when I saw that there was a queer reimagining of, mm. in a book, I was like, sold, get me a copy immediately. Yeah. So <laughs> why did you want to do that? Um. So it was years ago and me and my agent were kind of, at the time, we were kind of talking about um, like how straight, I suppose, straight and white, um, all the like big classic rom-coms were and yeah. like how those rom-coms would look different if they were queer. And at some point, like we were kind of t- like the topic of Greece came up and we were like, Oh, you know, it would make so much more sense. Like why Danny didn't want to dance with Sandy at the dance and like, why he's, you know, like hiding the relationship from right. his mates. Right, yeah. exactly. Like, oh no, you hooked up with this beautiful girl over summer. Like, how scandalous! I know they're all so that. disappointed in him. <laughs> <laughs> Such a guy thing to be like to hate that, right? Um, yeah, weird. And um, so it made a lot more sense in this context. And um, obviously, it couldn't be like a retelling, retelling because Greece, you know, is not in uh, the public. I'm forgetting the word, the public space. You can't, you can't just use it. So Only Mostly Devastated isn't like a retelling in the way that older retellings would be, but it does take that premise and queers it the hell up. And then it, it uses a lot of tropes from like 
other classic rom-coms as well and basically it's kind of like a big mashup of all of that and what I really really wanted to do with it was to create the most like generic tropey been done before a million times in straight media thing that I could yeah. because you know straight people are allowed to have like a million and one of this exact same story essentially but when it comes <laughs> yeah. to queer fiction it always has to be like doing something new and pushing boundaries and like rah, rah, rah. I was like no was like no we dated over summer you didn't tell your friends and now I'm gonna make you yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's just it's allowed to just be like a rom-com we're just allowed to have a rom-com it doesn't yeah. have to be deep a complicated and, sad right. story yeah it doesn't not always so was Grease always like one of your favourite musicals? Definitely. I, I grew up with a movie. Um, watched it like a million times in research for this as well. Um, I think Grease Live came out right before I started writing this as well. So that was um, watched quite a lot of times. Um, yeah, there's a lot of musical theatre references in there. There's some references to the actual musical rather than the show as well. Um, yeah. And there's actually a lot of references in there that I think a lot of people have kind of missed. So it's interesting to see what people catch and what they don't. Like the, the more obvious things, people are like, oh, yeah, you know, I saw like the hopelessly devoted reference, rah, 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 but I'm like, oh, I don't, like, there's some little things that I don't think I've seen anyone catch on to yet. So I'm like, hmm. Oh, now I'm wondering because I'm obsessed with Greece. I've seen the movie so many times. You know, they have, I mean, Greece Live, they did Greece on Glee. I've seen yeah. multiple, like, like school productions, professional productions of Greece. And I mean, I read Only the Most Devastated, it must have been last year. And now I don't remember, but I'm, I hope that I would have picked up less of this. <laughs> I don't know. Like, for example, one that I can think of is that the big basketball game at the end is almost beat for beat the same as the car race in Greece. But oh, I've never yeah. seen anyone like comment on that. Like the whole thing from start to finish is almost beat for beat. I mean, now I don't remember if I noticed or not because you've just told me. But <laughs> <laughs> I really so, hope that I would have got that. I should have. I should have checked or something. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we'll never know now. <laughs> I could have been the one. I could have been like, no, I'm the ultimate Grease fan. I got it. There are other things if you ever want to, like, I'll keep I'll reread it. Like, the list. <laughs> I'll tell you if you got them all. <laughs> so any other top favourite musicals? Mm, it's so hard to pick. I my favorite favorite ones are um I love Hamilton, I love Wicked, I love Mean Girls the Musical, Waitress. I really loved. Um, went through a bit of a Dear Evan Hansen phase last year as well. Um, went through a Hades Town phase last year. <laughs> Am I allowed to mention just all of the musicals? <laughs> yeah, yeah, every single musical, every single one of them. <laughs> I haven't listened to Hades Town yet, but um. Oh, our friend Austin is keeps telling me to. I really have to. But I'll get there one day. But yeah, I I keep going back to Dear Evan Hansen. I love that show so much. So good. And um oh, especially when Jordan Fisher, um, because he was in Grease Live and I, I was like you. obsessed with him in Grease Live and then all of a sudden he's doing Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> I love Jordan Fisher. He's so good. 
Yeah. Um, so if we can just move on from musicals, just to talk about briefly your new co-written uh, novel, If This Gets Out with Kale Dietrich, um, which is coming out in 2021, mm-hmm. which is this year, I've just remembered. Yeah. Um, <laughs> can you tell us a bit about that? And, um, you know, how was it different working with someone else on a novel? Mm, so this one is not a rom-com at all. It goes right into like the dark dramatic angsty kind of side of things um so yeah it's been a lot of fun it follows two guys in the same boy band um it's America's biggest boy band and they end up falling for each other um and starting a relationship and then they realize that their management team has no intention of ever letting them announce their relationship to the world so they essentially have to stay closeted um as long as they're in the band um so uh oh, it was it was Kale's idea <laughs> so he came to me with the story idea um and was kind of like trying to be cool like oh yeah like I've got a story idea and I was like great you should do that story idea and he was like well you know I kind of always thought that it would be really good to do it like in a co-authored project and I was like if you ask someone else to co-author this with you you're dead to me <laughs> and he was like yeah <laughs> it's okay that's what I was getting at, was getting at. luckily <laughs> that would have been so awkward um so uh essentially it's been a super super different experience in some really good ways and some uh you know learning opportunity kind of ways I suppose um, <laughs> What a positive spin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, I guess, you know, I've been writing my own books for so long now. I have like a routine that I'm very used to and it's it's just totally different writing with someone else. So we essentially sat down at the start and um, we were on exactly the same page for the synopsis for the plot. So that was really great. Um, we had some fun at first. Like we wrote 10,000 words that we were never allowed to use um, for the book because it was set too early um but that helped us really get to know the characters so when we actually started writing the book we were like yep this is who we're working with um so that was actually really great um we each take one of the boys um so I'm Ruben and he's Zach and we do it with alternating chapters um so each chapter you kind of find out what the other one was thinking the whole time and why they acted the way they did so that's I love that about dual perspectives. Yes. Because even when, I don't know, even in a book when, you know, you can kind of swap perspectives, but it's not necessarily like written in that style with like another author or something, when it's like this chapter is one of them and this chapter Mm -hmm. is another one and you're just like swapping back and seeing what's happening. Yeah. I love that. Me too, me too. I actually always used to write dual perspective, but publishers were so picky with the voices sounding different. So I didn't um end up giving up on that. Solve that problem by having different people write yeah. them. It could not <laughs> sound any more different, I can tell you that right now. <laughs> Very firmly written by two different It's a good people. hack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um a little bit like weird in some ways, I guess as well. <laughs> this is probably embarrassing to talk about, but I'm in a mood, so screw it, I'll do it. Um I I had to write the first makeout scene of the book and it was very uncomfortable for me to do. I was like, you know, it was ridiculous, but I felt like I was writing about kissing Kale, which is, I told him. Because it's like his 
character. Oh, yeah, like, and yeah. his character sounds so much yeah. like him, you know. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is not, this is super weird. Like, um, it's all fine to write about kissing made-up people in my head, but, like, this is the made-up person from his head. <laughs> and now my yeah. Um, so, but I've never thought enough, about that before. That's a really good point, actually. I was not ready for it. And then um, I'm friends with Becky Albertalli, who's done a couple of co-written projects. And I went to her, I was like, am I weird? Like, is this normal? And she's like, yeah, it's normal. And I was like, oh my God, this is a thing. <laughs> Never would have, oh yeah, that's so like fascinating. Oh yeah, God. mental block I had to get over. So that was a good learning opportunity. <laughs> I got used to it eventually. <laughs> Um, yeah. you know when you're like alone in your room like giggling uncomfortably as you're right <laughs> <laughs> it totally makes sense though because when it's I guess when it's like all in your head like you know you're controlling everything but when you'd be working with another author that way you're not in total control of like what his character is doing I guess and it just yeah. feels a bit strange I've never thought about was. that before a really big thing that was actually, I think, a little bit difficult for both of us was to adjust to the chemistry. Um, I, I, there was a while where I had to work with one of my friends and I kind of like, um, her name's Julia Rubin. Um, so I kind of sent her like a sample of the chapters and I was like, so, because you know, when you're creating someone, they're kind of like, in a lot of ways, I think most people would create a kind of love interest that they themselves would be attracted to in real life I think so like you know not necessarily completely I mean they're teenagers but you know I'm talking about like personality traits and like that kind of stuff like the kind of person that you would you can really like understand um but when you're writing a collab with someone it's it's the personality traits that they choose and like I had to kind of sit with my friend and I was like okay so like what I'm really struggling to kind of get is like what are the things that my character particularly loves about this character it's not a bad character it's just like it didn't come as naturally as when you create them and you're like well obviously they love their like intelligence (laughs) and their charisma you know all that stuff I'm just like okay yeah it's less of that that, like (laughs) of course you love them because I also made them and they're so great and you're so great (laughs) yeah everyone's fantastic and suddenly it was more like meeting an actual stranger in a lot of ways and like you know actually getting oh, to know so the cool. person and being like okay you're obviously cool you're a good person but like why are you the best person <laughs> <laughs> yeah. literally like real life dating <laughs> this is so God, interesting what? I can't believe I never thought about this with so I've read like so many co-authored books I mean like Becky Albertalli like you mm-hmm. said she's written a few um even like the David Levithan, he's got like a hundred, I swear. Like I've read so many of them and I never thought about this part of it before. Yeah, neither had I. <laughs> I had to look at it. <laughs> Not until you were in the seat, I suppose. Yeah, I was deep in and I'm like, well, we're doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. And um Kale is so easy to work with as well. Um like we've been friends since twenty fourteen, which definitely helped. Um I think <laughs> there aren't very many people that I could co-author a book with. Um, 
I tend to be like very picky and like I need to have things done in a certain way and I get like quite blindsided if they were done in a way that I hadn't personally decided they were going to happen even if we haven't necessarily had that talk like sometimes he would like do a thing but oh okay like I just I wasn't because I guess when you're writing like you're constantly thinking several steps ahead so you're like okay then this would happen and my character would do this and then your character would do this but suddenly you don't control it and their character did something different so I'm like okay well mine wouldn't do the thing that I planned then so what does my character do and just having to like readjust every single chapter you know what that sounds like what? a real relationship oh my God. <laughs> Oh my god, like, like that meme that's like, how dare you not follow the script that I wrote for you in my head? That's yeah, different. like it, it all comes back to that though of like your expectations for other people. Yeah. I mean, is it fair that I get mad at, at Jack for not doing the stuff that in my head mm-hmm. I had assigned him but not told him? That's literally Probably what not. it was. Literally like, oh, that <laughs> was written a great scene. This is wonderful. I just didn't see it. It wasn't on the approved list. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so good. Oh, that's so fascinating. Like, it's just so interesting to get this insight into that process. Yeah. Like, it's just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Like, now that you guys are putting it like that, I'm really seeing it. So I guess when you're writing your own book, it's like playing with Barbies or something. You know, everything's very safe and you're writing this, like, but everything happens the way that you wanted it to happen. And, like, this is, like, the, the perfect love. Yeah, you're the puppet master. You're creating this, like, perfect, like, perfect on paper I guess love story but then all of a sudden you're with like someone else and it's more probably a lot more like a real relationship when you guys read if this gets out (laughs) it was two very distinct people giving each other curveballs for a whole book (laughs) yeah well I mean we absolutely can't wait to read it um but the other I mean that ties everything up really nicely actually like brings everything in this interview back to a nice a nice close then. <laughs> I aim to um, <laughs> well, it has been a delight to chat to you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was really fun. Where can people find you online? Um, and when can they get copies of the two upcoming books? Mm. So uh, my Twitter and Instagram are both S Gonzalez author. Um, I have a website, sophiegonzalezbooks.com. Um, I also have a newsletter on there that I sporadically update. And uh, <laughs> so Perfect on Paper comes out on the 9th, the of, 9th March of March in America yeah. and the 11th of March in the US, uh, UK and Australia. And um, if this gets out, comes out in the US on the 7th of December and comes out other places to be confirmed. <laughs> That is, I mean, that is a long way away in in publishing terms. So mm. yeah, no, don't don't worry. I'm sure we will share it on Instagram when we have all the details okay. later in the year and remind people to pick <laughs> up. Um, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at Better Words Pod and follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf, and me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review.